I'm not worried. Everything will be fine. The old team together again. Nothing can stop us. The old team. Yeah. Goodbye, Beth. Goodbye, Mr. Nelson. How'd it go? It couldn't have gone better. It's practically set. Gordy has to finish this picture first. Mine will be his next. Get Gordon Cole. Tell him to forget about our car. Tell him he can get another old car someplace. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are discussing Twin Peaks The Return, Part 15. The 15th one. Yeah. This episode of Twin Peaks was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired August 20th, 2017. Jake, you might not know this or have realized this, but this is the 50th episode of Twin Peaks Rewatch. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We did it. We did. We got there. It's over now. <laughs> 50 episodes. <laughs> it's not over. There's several more. Uh, so on this episode of The Return, mm-hmm. Nadine releases Ed and Norma, and those two are adorable. Bad Coop meets Philip Jeffries face to teapot. Stephen Burnett and Gersten Hayward freak out in the woods. James and Freddy get into a glove-powered tussle. Chantel does some dirty work in Vegas. Cooper makes a bad decision. Audrey somehow continues to stymie her forward momentum. And the log lady says a final farewell to Hawk. Yep. And those are the things that happened. In this good episode of good old Twin Peaks. It was a very good episode. It was. This episode... This episode... I mean, it obviously had some things that were that were uh, more about closure, like the scene with the log lady, obviously yep. in particular. But so much of this episode felt like um, setup or sort of preparation for the story to end. Yeah, like so much of the first half of this episode, especially, felt like a ramp up to whatever the end of this sure, season you, will be. I guess notably with uh, Ed and Norman, Nadine and Bad Coop, those both seem. Yeah, I mean, one of those felt like. Essentially, a conclusion that could have some yeah, but follow-up. The, the but bad, the bad Cooper bad stuff Cooper felt like, like yeah, and uh, the Dougie storyline. Both of those, true, true. All of the yeah. Cooper stuff felt like it was like yeah. getting pieces in place true. for whatever's going to happen, yeah. whatever it is. You know what's funny about that? I don't know if if this resonates with you at all. But what's what's interesting to me about these last few episodes, uh, including in this case, some of this sort of lead up to climax or conclusion stuff Mm -hmm. is it also sort of weirdly feels like the show is um hitting a stride yeah you know it almost like oh this is like we're in twin peaks like it's it's, going things are just getting like good good old twin peaks now but it's obviously almost over yep um 
and I, you know, I don't really have anything else to say about that, but it definitely has felt in the last couple episodes like, oh, I could just watch this forever. I know. Um, but it, obviously it, it, that's it, not the intention. No, now it's it's going to hurt again once Twin yeah. Peaks goes away now that, yeah, we've had a good cadence going for a few weeks. And it, it felt like that was happening sometimes in the middle of the season as well. Oh, yeah, there were sure. some either some false starts or some total unexpected turns. But yeah, now we're like, we're just going. Yep. Uh, just in time to stop. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I... I find myself really wondering how we're going to feel at the end of all this and whether I, I don't really have a sense. And this isn't, I guess, really in the purview of this show. So I don't want to talk about it much, but I wonder how this show has been doing and whether upon its conclusion, Showtime will lobby Lynch to do another season or whether it's kind of underwhelmed for them in the long term or what. I don't know. I, I think that I read something from some Showtime executive and I don't remember the exact context or how high up on the ladder this person was, but the the quotes that were coming out for a little while were just like, we'd love to have him back if they want to keep doing it, which is like the total yeah. ambient, yeah. no deal has been worked out, no terms, no interest yeah. have been discussed, but at least like they, they were at least willing to give quotes like that out as opposed to just like, Twin Peaks is performing as expected or something, right, you know, sure, like yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. it's not setting the world on fire just based yeah. on the amount of volume I mean, talked I, about. I it, know but. it did really well on streaming early, but it's yeah. such, it, the show asks so much of the viewer that I just have to assume a lot of people have fallen off Yep, in a, in a way that is probably more intense than a show that really works hard to make its audience love it, yep. which, you know, a lot of modern sort of prestige dramas that are really secretly soap operas, you know, just try really hard to pre- please the audience that all turns yeah, and the show does not and that's one of the things that's cool about it yes I think that'll be easier to answer when we see what the heck the end of it is and sort of what kind of conversation that is because I think the way that Twin Peaks season 3 ends will potentially be what deter- what defines it as one gi- giant blob which will then probably help define it's like lo- it's long tail and how much people who continue who watch Twin Peaks seasons 1 and 2 on Netflix f- feel pressure from like TV critics and friends and whatever else to continue to watch from peak season three, or if it will ultimately be regarded as like, Oh, what a weird other thing. Yeah. Cause there's still probably people right now who are watching the pilot of twin peaks and being in like having their mind blown by it. Sure. And who knows what the, you know, yeah. What it'll mean when they realize, Oh, I've got to now buy showtime anytime to keep watching or, you know, well, you know, what's funny is that, I mean, I don't know what this means exactly, but whenever I watch one of these on, uh, on Showtime, the service, it always says that it's going to expire in, like, September. Huh. And I wonder if that's because they don't fully own it They'll be the way they would a show that they Oh, like if they're just distributing well. it or something? Yeah, I don't... Yeah, it's huh. surprising, right? Because you'd think they'd want that to live in their catalog so that, as you say, people who filter in over time could... Anyway, we're getting way out into the weeds. But I, I that was notable to me that, that they, they don't seem to be on there permanently. Anyway, this episode of Twin Peaks... Yeah. It was good. And it opens up with Nadine marching along with her Dr. Amp-produced golden shovel. Yes. uh, To meet Ed and inform him that he is free and she has released him from what she claims was like centuries of knowing manipulation. Although I wonder how much that's true and how much she just, in retrospect is sort of realizing what was going on. It, Yeah, it seemed to me like it was her having a moment of clarity and it also had a fairly self-flagellating moment of clarity, yeah. which is why Ed sort of said, uh, Are you sure about this? You sure about yeah. this? But Ed clearly also wants it. As I mean, we yeah. one, you can kind of tell 
from the one scene that we saw of Ed a couple episodes back, but yeah. um, mm-hmm. it was just a good. It, it, it was. <laughs> it was seeing these characters come back in this context was was surprising and a little bit frustrating to see literally the exact same storyline that we saw 25 <laughs> years ago. But at least the thing that we saw from it was what seems like it's going to be a marked change. Like we yes. saw yep. a, hopefully not a, but the turning point in their story. Like hopefully we were given a, like the moment that it, that is worth showing in, in 25 yeah. years of not seeing them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, a thing I really liked about, so I felt weird when the, this scene made me feel very strange the scene with Ed and Nadine mm-hmm. um, because she was so self-flagellating and so, um, you know, depicted herself in such craven terms, which again is not always how I, in- I always interpreted that character as being more kind of naive about her own emotions than like an intense manipulator. Right. But I think, you know, I think you're right that she's sort of having a self-flagellating moment of clarity as opposed to like repenting for decades of intentional gaslighting. But, uh, but anyway, a thing I really liked in the follow-up with Ed and Nadine, I really, really liked. I'm sorry, Ed and Norma. I Classic. really, yeah, I really liked how they played. I really liked how they played Norma. Um, you know, she. I, I'm really, really, really glad that this didn't turn into yet another sort of frustrated, doomed relationship <laughs> they, where we they, as the audience obviously yeah. know, like, oh, you're with some idiot who's an idiot who you're not, you don't, are not yeah. going to love. You know, it was just... It they was, played into that and out of it. Yes. Like, perfectly, I, I thought it. it. was I thought very it was good. really good. And I also thought it was really, it felt really true to Norma. You know, like, it, it was a very tiny example, I think, of how this show, when it's firing on all cylinders, it really treats its characters with an extremely good level of specificity mm-hmm. you know the way norma treated this was um in a very very matter of fact way you know like she's happy to sort of stick it out with business douche you know mm-hmm. as when she doesn't really have anything else going on and that's and that's what it's going to be and she's going to be just sort of a pleasant person and sort of do what she's going to do um, and push back to the extent that she like cares to. Um, but then when this opportunity comes along, it's just a very no nonsense, like matter of fact, look, we, the, we both know this is kind of ridiculous for me. I'm not doing it anymore. Sorry, I'm done. I, I, I just really liked how much that was just turn on a dime. You know, yep. she was, she had doubts already. We saw last week, but this was just, okay, you know what? This is ridiculous. This is pointless. Why would I do this one second longer than I have to? Um, I, I just, I really liked how that was played. Yeah, it was, it was good. Because it's different than how like Shelly would, would play that, right? It's just a good, sure. good um, portrayal of that character. I yeah. Think. We've seen, we've seen Norma just sort of sitting there doing, doing the books and not really being involved in Twin Peaks, and I was worried for a long time that that was going to be all that we ended up getting, like that if, that other normal right. stuff was on the cutting room floor. And it was so good, um, it was so good that that we got this scene of Norma and Ed, both because it gave both those actors an opportunity to show up and just like really correctly embody and own those characters for the first time in mm-hmm. in, in decades, and also because it was like just sweet fan service, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was just yeah. Well, if if if. Twin Peaks, the return is going to be full of ambiguous, weird, crazy shit. And if the Cooper storyline doesn't resolve uh, in a way that like 
classic tw- in a mm-hmm. classic Twin Peaks fan liking way if it lynches out wildly, which it probably will. At least we got this. At least we got this happy moment where we know yeah. that uh, Ed and Norm are together and uh, only slightly tinged with the fact that Nadine had to basically just eviscerate herself verbally to her husband <laughs> yeah. for 25 years for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, yikes. But- hopefully, hopefully the confidence and serenity she gets from this complete bullshit trinket that she bought doesn't evaporate and leave her in a state of depression. Hopefully her awkward flirty scene with Dr. Jacoby means that Twin Peaks 2 weirdos yeah, that just... that would be amazing. The end, of, the end of Twin amazing. Peaks The Return is going to be a double wedding yes. of Ed and oh Norma God. and... That uh, would be the most Twin Peaks... <laughs> and, uh, Nadine and Dr. Jacoby. <laughs> Twin Peaks season two starring as this scene of <laughs> Twin Peaks The Return. Yep. Um, <laughs> sorry, just, a ca- just to sort of really quickly um, offer a couple other thoughts. To your point about those two actors owning that moment, uh, Ed also... I thought was fantastic and I thought his sort of under his breath order of a cyanide tablet was yep. a really great example of that character's like it's a sort of reminder it, it that felt he's like not, Ed, yeah. Yeah, he's not like he, that character is portrayed as sort of endlessly honorable and decent, which he is, but also the show is not trying to pretend that he is a literal saint. Like he also yeah, no. is frustrated by these things and gets is like it's it's a reminder that he's he's a good person who is also super world weary and has just seen yeah. a lot and gone through yeah. a lot. But he knows that he's eating shit when he's eating shit. It's yeah. not he's not right, he's not a just sort of naive yeah. uh, shit eater. But um, <laughs> uh, and the the other final thing that I want to say that I just love and it was a directorial choice uh, was the blasting of Otis Redding's "I've oh, Been yeah. Loving You Too Long." Every time Ed was on the screen, and it was really like rigorously observed, where when we cut away from Ed, it would sort of fade it would out, fade out, and then when it cut back to him, it would blast back in. That I loved that. It was that was good. a really, I thought, a really great example of the kind of um, creativity that I mean. I love the moments we get Battlementi in this show, and we did get some this episode, but the. The broader sort of use of music has opened up some really fantastic. Like, there's no equivalent of that with a with a Battlementi score. There just isn't. Right. Like, there's you don't get that like deep soulful Motown. Like, it's just great. I thought I loved it. I really. It was just fun and awesome. And when they finally got together, it was just the most like it was total fan service, as you say. But it just blasting. Yeah, oh, it was just like track was ultimate just, triumphant yeah, moment of this yeah. season might just be Norma's hand on Ed's shoulder. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's fine. Exactly, if that's yeah. what we get, great. Yeah, yeah. And Ed's face, I mean, Ed's face, just yeah. that long shot of yep. Ed kind of, yeah, so good. Uh, all right. Oh, uh, it was also fantastic. I don't know what we're talking about next, but the it you know the music was going to the crescendo and then we cut back, like the episode opened with the those really uh, awesome shots of the mountains outside yeah. of Twin Peaks but then the music swells and we start getting uh, shots of the mountains again then just shots of a blue sky oh that's true yeah and then it just and like, clouds right we got the cl- wispy clouds yeah wispy as well, clouds yeah. and then it just hard cut to that like scratchy weird film mm-hmm. effect and like the mm-hmm. Which I think yeah. is the sound effect that was playing uh, on the on the gramophone in the very first episode that the giant says to pay attention to. I think but, you're right. But whatever, that just like yeah, immediate hard cut of just that music dead, and then like yeah. just okay, whoa, I guess we're yeah. the, the other part of Twin Peaks: The Return uh, yeah. will assert itself yeah. aggressively it's, it's now. Great. Yeah, and that's really I think one of David Lynch's like sort of intuitive strong suits, right? Is that kind of juxtaposition? Yeah, uh, it's yeah, you can't really beat it, and this this show. Even in an episode like this that I, I 
is sort of in some ways more a more conventional episode than a mm-hmm. lot of episodes of the return even that transitions like that are such a reminder that like this is a unique television experience like, yeah. this is not something that happens on television it's funny because again these things like all of the stuff with uh bad coop or whatever mr seek or just cooper as he may be uh um all of that stuff and also the norma and ed stuff they both feel so hardcore quintessentially twin peaks but they're of their own elements like it's yeah twin peaks has gone through like a a centrifugal separation almost and we (laughs) witnessed that when we cut from the blue sky to just the black film effect Mm -hmm. of like okay no that's a that's a good point um, so and that yeah so that is you know the next thing that happens is we oh see Shelley was really happy also Shelley was very pleased for her friend that was really nice to see yeah anyway um, so we see Bad Coop from first in it from a first person perspective driving along a yeah. kind of forest highway very reminiscent of the first time. Yeah. We saw a bad coop driving. We've along. seen a few of him doing this. I think it's yeah, his, it's his yeah. preferred mode. It's true, it's true. He travels in lost highway style around the yes, world. That's exactly right. Um, and so he, uh, I was. It was shocking to me when he just straight up pulled up to the convenience store. It that, was yeah. I that felt we don't, like a magic trick. You know, we'd only because like, we'd only seen it from that one angle really, and it almost felt like it was fake. I couldn't like. Yeah, it, it looks like almost like a the woodsman. Like a miniature it looked like a miniature, but then to see yeah. the car just barrel yeah. up to it in the woods was like, whoa, it's real. Well, yeah, we've also only seen it either in the past or in sort of cutaway, almost abstract kind of reference, and so it was. It was a. It was an example of how easily, at least in my case the brain can be fooled by sort of filmic conceits where I'm, yep. I'm like, oh, that's from the past or like, you know, but then, oh, he can just go to it. It's right. still just there. But I, I think guess. that that effect was surely super deliberate because of the way that yeah. the scene oh, totally. ends where it then does just yeah. disappear it, back it into, the, into the mist and it's away. gone. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah. it's like the, you know, it's like a kid's book with a magic shop that shows yeah. up and disappears. Yeah. Uh, I saw someone on our forum compare it to the TARDIS from Doctor Who, which totally cracks me up because it was totally accurate, especially I, given that... What, what is... That's, the, that's the, the police box that Doctor Who travels around through time and space in, and it, and it, and it, it just it, it fades in and out by way of like a okay. flickering light and then oh, it dissolves okay. away. Yeah, it was, it was a totally captivating moment. And then this entire sequence was that. Oh, yeah, it was great. I, I really, really liked it. So most, most of what happens here, he, you know, he, he, he walks up, he fades out, um, which, you know, I, the suggestion being, I think, that the convenience store itself is more is like one of these portals as well, opposed yeah, and to the, the actual Well, yeah, and the room place. above the convenience store is also confirmed to not exist. Like, those were just literally stairs to nowhere. Yeah, there wasn't a door. It didn't even seem like there was a door. Going yeah, no, there was just yeah, a stairway yeah. stairway up yeah. to a light. Um, uh, so that stuff was great. We get just sort of a bunch of classic sort of Twin Peaksy um, sort of stuff. Uh, oh. There, there is a scene, there's a scene where... As he's walking down the hallway out towards the courtyard, we flash in and out of, um, again, sort of more of this like abstract uh, imagery. Mm -hmm. And there's like a face that has that sort of, it looked almost like one of those it reminded me of like the paper mache, like the paper mache masks. Yes, I think that that actually might have been. A combination of footage because people were referring to that character online as the jumping man who is one of the guys yeah. in the lodge sequences yeah. in um, 
but in Firewalk with me. Sarah Palmer's, Sarah Palmer's face. face is kind of yeah. like morphed in or cross yeah. blended into it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what that is supposed to mean, but it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's very notable after last week's yes. Sarah Palmer episode. Um, for sure. I also really liked that the transitions between all these spaces, like they were always these one point perspective shots following Cooper and a woodsman through a hallway and then it would crossfade to a one point perspective drone shot of the woods and it really Yeah, that was really good. It, it you know, it doesn't it doesn't have to mean anything concrete but just tying all of these spaces back into the into the woods and into sort of the natural spaces of the Pacific Northwest felt right to that's, me. That's also how the um, that's also how they shot the uh, convenience store itself fading away. Yeah, was by overlaying two like similar perspective right. shots. Yeah, the way it. that it moved though, and it felt like they were that, that Cooper was both traveling through a space that doesn't exist mm-hmm. and also sort of walking through the woods. I yeah, thought it I just was, that a lot. was really a super simple effect. Really yeah, effective. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Um. Very very minor note. Uh, I guess we could talk about this now or later, but it's so minor that I'll just mention it now. The second woodsman, I believe, he sees the one who sort of comes out of that hallway after mm-hmm. he after he says, "I'm looking for Philip Jeffries." Um, did it seem to you like he was bleeding very similarly to from the guy the, in the, the jail? Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. that I thought that it was weird that he was bleeding from the mouth, and I I didn't put it together with the guy in the jail, but that yeah, it seemed like you're right. Yeah, we just seen so much of that guy's face in the jail that I couldn't yep. not think about it. Which means that it's either the second or third reference to someone bleeding from the mouth and face because uh, what's the guy's name? Billy mm-hmm. was reported to have that happen That's to right. him, and whether That's or not right. he's the guy in the jail or not, who yeah. knows? Yeah, a lot true. of a lot of mouth bleeding happening. A lot of mouth bleeding, true. Um, Maybe he's a woodsman on the side. Maybe that was Billy <laughs> that we just saw. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Cooper crosses the courtyard door that he wants to go through is locked there's a woman there who in the backwards speaking says i'll unlock the door for you it's worth noting that that hotel courtyard is um, oh yeah yeah is actually the hotel it's shot on the same location as the hotel that leland palmer sees or meets with uh laura Teresa banks and renette pulaski yeah. over the course of fire walk with me yeah whether that's intended to literally be the same place or a shadow version of it or just david lynch liked the location unknown mm-hmm. but it's cool that that was that that's back i mean I, I feel like the way david lynch works david lynch lynch liking the location could be significant justification for it then gar- like getting right. additional significance um, yeah but we but we don't know what it is, what that is yeah. yet. I mean, it's it 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 tracks generally. I think in the context of especially this season of Twin Peaks, in which everything seems to be an echo. There's of echoes and shadows and of all yeah. of all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, was he? It's it's it, these scenes, all of this stuff with with uh, Coop walking through all these dark hallways and this totally weirdly desaturated, hard to know even how it was lit hotel sequence it was it was cool to me just the production design of all of it everything just the way everything was it wasn't that it was lit darkly it was that everything was actually just painted or covered in darkness because like cooper's face popped and like glistening things yeah. popped um oh also one thing we didn't talk about even though it's a, another another sort of small thing is all of the wallpapering and just coloration of all this yes. space feels like it is an explicit connection to the location that Laura visits when she walks yeah. through the painting that the um, that the Tremonts slash Chalfonts mm-hmm. give her in Fire Walk with Me. Yeah, I've actually seen a, f- a handful of people who are watching 
Twin Peaks season three who watched seasons one and two but never watched Fire Walk with me, I feel like at this point, if you're in for 18 hours of Twin Peaks, uh, you should just make it 20 hours and watch Fire Walk Definitely. with me. If you if you for some reason thought yeah, ah, I should so just skip important. it, you will be surprised at how many things from that movie have come yeah. back into this. It's it's increasingly. I mean, it, we I think right from the beginning we sort of said at least tonally. This feels like very much continuation from Firewalk with me, but the deeper we get, the more it seems like even all of the deep lore and everything is yeah. just completely hinging yep. on that movie, which is interesting because it's one that that Frost uh, was not involved with, and he the, his mark is very strong on yep. this season. I think so. it it feels less it feels less tonally like Firewalk with me than I was expecting, and actually less tonally like Firewalk with me than I was kind of hoping for. I was really I oh, was sure. I was hoping for some more of the sort of Raw, like raw, like, yeah. like nerve exposed yet laser focused look yeah. at the emotional side of yeah. Twin Peaks. That's We're not, not getting that. Not what that is. Or yeah, it right. feels almost like this is um, Mark Frost sort of like scraping the like the lower cream off the top of Firewalk with me and putting that into the plot. Yeah, but, and then but, David Lynch dipping into his own film work. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's yeah Lynch taking taking the me. plot elements and sort of the lore from Firewalk with me and applying a completely different, very new or like. New meets retrospective David Lynch tone on top of it, but it's nothing like if you look at like Ray Wise and uh, Cheryl Lee's performances in Fire Walk with Me. There's very little of that in yeah. this movie, whereas that also, was like the meat show. of that or of that yeah. of this show. Also, very little of those actors, which is surprising yep. to me. I would have assumed they would have been among the more used returning characters. Same, they, especially they, Ray Wise. They they were for a minute in the beginning, yeah, but then they yeah. just disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Go figure. Um. So, so Philip Jeffries Philip time. Philip Jeffries, yeah. So I, I have to assume that the voice, that this voice is is the same guy. It's who credited. Did. The actor who was credited as voice last week is now credited as voice of Philip Jeffries oh, in this okay. episode. I looked for that and somehow missed it. Yeah, in he the was credits. In there. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what we guessed is correct. Right. He's yeah. just the canonical voice of Philip Jeffries now because they couldn't get Bowie to do more voice. Right. Yeah. Uh, what a weird thing. Yep. Um, I mean, as with much of this season, the thing that we've been sort of waiting for and that the show has been teasing on and on and on is of course, like almost incomprehensible yeah. uh, when it's actually delivered. Uh, but I mean, what, what, what do you expect at this point? Um, I don't have a lot of really specific takeaways from this because it feels like so much of it is um, impossible for us to, to parse just yet. I mean, I guess the big beats are that these it generally felt to me like these two characters, Bad Coop and Philip Jeffries, have been in some level of communication with each other, but different amounts than they each seem to have believed. Yeah. It seems like, you know what I mean? It's, did, did you get that sense at all? I mean, it seems like Coop, it seems like Coop assumed more like intention and communication from Jeffries than Jeffries seems to acknowledge. That That is probably correct, or at least... It seemed like, if, I mean, Jeffries says, so you are Cooper. Yeah. Which at least implies that Jeffries was withholding information or not giving this this Cooper the entire story because he wasn't sure what he was talking to. Yeah. Uh, that also, though, sort of confirmed, well, it didn't confirm anything other than sort of people had been wondering, is this version of Cooper that we're seeing literally just a weird being that blobbed its way out of the, out of the red room at the mm-hmm. end of season two. But it, it, that, that line, so you are Cooper made it more clear to me. 
sort of what I had emotionally thought was going on, that, that Cooper had either sort of been split or that these were both, they're, they're both him and they're both sort of two versions of him or two yeah. sort of sides of the same character. Like this character seems to have distinct memories and knowledge that, that Agent Cooper had and he, what, you know, him recollecting Jeffrey's appearance and conversation about Judy in Fire Walk With Me was enough for that for this weird Jeffrey's uh, teapot to say, you when he says yeah. so you are Cooper it implies that he's saying oh you are the same sort of right you are you were there in that room with me yeah I, I don't know that this changes any of my kind of assumptions about how this stuff works I I would still assume that if a doppelganger is like at whatever point they are created I would sort of assume they would have they would like inherit the memories of okay but but I don't know I mean my I, my assumption was sort of both of these characters are actually the same person and uh-huh. you only ever like. I season season three has made all of this stuff very tangible in a way that was that's actually been really hard for me to grasp because yeah. during season two and Fire Walk with Me, it's always felt so it's always felt so like like cloud like in my mind where yeah, I haven't yeah. had to accept are these the same people person are they different people yeah, is, and is, part of is, what is was one of these sort of like a like if your subconscious sort of just has this huge ballooning shape off outside of our world that can contain different versions of you or multiple sort of ways that you would react to a situation and then somehow just a different portion of Cooper's consciousness was made manifest almost is sort of how I read it before and now we've been playing in this world of like are there actually two physical forms that can swap in and out of a room yeah so in the in the in the first run plus firewalk with me I mean and and definitely like especially with the addition of firewalk with me the two sort of um example cases we had of this were Leland Palmer, who's a mm-hmm. character we know we knew extremely well, right? And so and then the so we have doppelgangers as applied to a character we know very well, and then also however this sort of lodge logic works, um, our other cases are people like Bob and Mike who largely exist as um like almost symbols or as sort of very transient characters, you know, very cloud-like as you say. Uh, And so you can apply the logic to Leland according to what feel like emotional truths, especially with Firewalk with me. It's sort of a lot of the questions there are like, oh, how much of this is Leland Palmer the man and how much of it is his sort of id and how much of it is this like actual mystical doppelganger right. thing. And how and, much like, is that, this... and how much is that doppelganger just an enabler basically? Yeah, exactly. Right. And then in the, that's almost, the, that's almost like the... old, like old gods or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Eight, like totally. old, old, you know, like, yeah. And then in the case of Mike and Bob, it doesn't like the specifics don't really matter. They're more like sort of this hazy mm-hmm. kind of forces of the lodge. At least for me, I didn't spend a lot of time sitting around thinking like, hmm, how does Mike like technically work? Sure, like, no, I, neither do I. You know, but it now, to your point, in season three, it really feels like that stuff is actually being concretized and that we are intending to be learning about really specifically how it works. I'm, and I really like the version of it that's more of a, rumination on yes. what does it mean about sort of the soul and the the psyche of an indiv- of an individual human being sort of Leland Palmer style and so i am basically reserving that kind of general naive uh, uh, emotional approach until any like incredibly specific mechanics 
change any of my oh, emotional yes. reactions Same. or I, Well, I, I felt that that line, so you are Cooper, coming from Jeffries, was actually, like you said, that things are starting to become, or things this season have felt like they've become more concrete on a plot level, but I feel like him saying that actually chipped that away again for yeah, me in fair. a way that I that I liked. It was like, okay, actually, him saying, so you are Cooper, is is to me, reasserted comfort that all of these things are Cooper and that there isn't a literal, like, two individuals. Because the, the second, or the, the final episode of season two of Twin Peaks is, I think, what introduced the notion that there that there could be two versions or multiple versions of people when you had all the all the actors with blue contact lenses running around in the red room along with normal versions of the actor that didn't have them. Right. That, again, all felt like a very ethereal thing that wasn't real. Yeah. It's seeming more and more... To me, at least, and you know, who knows? We only have three episodes left yeah. to, 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 for me to be just proven wrong and blown away. The fact that there are two physical Coopers is a complete anomaly and is not intended to happen. And some outrageous, mm-hmm. weird event has happened to cause this. But there yeah. usually are not literally supposed to be multiple yeah, physical forms of a human I being. I think that's true. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the the you know when when Bob or Mike wander around on the earth that I think it is supposed to feel like a time when a god walks the earth like yeah. it's supposed to feel or you know with Bob certainly yeah yeah, it, it really it, it feels well even even I mean Mike mostly ex- I Mike guess, has that sort of Shakespearean mode that feels almost like classically yeah, majestic but I he guess, also yeah. just exists in the red room most of the time yeah. and then has popped he's only seems to have popped into earth as a normal guy when Bob is out, is possessing someone doing some fucked up thing like when Bob shows up in the world it, it yeah you know, if events from that plane manifest themselves and start making their way uh, through Earth, then other things, then other characters from that show up to stop it. Obviously, that's the part of it that you don't like and that makes me uncomfortable uh, as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's putting it. I'm not. You hate it, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just stop talking about this because I'm going out of the weeds. No, it's okay. It's it's hard not to with this stuff. So the other stuff we have not yet addressed is a whole bunch of discussion of Judy who is mentioned in those fire walk with me scenes or missing pieces. I forget how that stuff um, uh, shakes out, but uh, and there's also a monkey that says the word Judy subtitled in fire walk with me at one point. Yeah. And so, and Cooper is like demanding to know who Judy is. Jeffries has not interested in sort of giving him a straight answer. Um, says he's already You've met, already met Judy. Judy. Yeah. Yeah. And then also says things like, why didn't, why don't you ask Judy yourself? Like, why he didn't want to talk about Judy? Uh, why don't I write it down? And then he, he writes some numbers. Yep. Uh, which He puffs some smoke numbers yeah, out. Yeah, Twin Peaks loves numbers. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that's it. I mean, I, th- th- that stuff was so, I think, outside of our knowledge base that I, I don't know that it, there's any point in discussing it at length. But We each get one name. Who's Judy. Oh, what? Get, uh, yeah, pff, uh, <laughs> I couldn't even begin no. to guess. Yeah, I saw someone propose that Major Briggs is Judy because his name is Garland and that it's a Judy Garland reference. Oh man, but that's I al- very Lynch-like. But I also believe that, in- given the fact that, like, we see a clip of. Uh, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, in this Gordon episode, Cole's namesake in this episode. Uh, that, I mean, just in terms of classic Hollywood stuff. That yeah. said, I saw people debating whether or not Judy has ever actually been gendered, other than the name Judy. And I think that in in a missing pieces piece, Judy is referred to as she, but I'm not sure what what of that is kept. Like Judy mm. could be a code name or a nothing yeah. or whatever. They or, do or both actually go a woman. out of their way not to use not to use a not to gender it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, anyway, lore mania. Yeah, total lore explosion. So, and yeah. then the phone rings, and phone then rings. he's kicked out of the matrix. Yeah, like that. Yeah, just he totally is. Oh man, I didn't, I didn't uh, yeah. draw that connection at the time, but that's totally what happened. Um, all right. So anyway, that's the end of that scene. Um, I liked it, and I liked watching the convenience store fade away again at the end. Yeah, that stuff is good. I love it's. It's weird that no one else rips it off. Probably because it just like is sort of in class we've talked about sort of David Lynch's affinity for his own style of visual effects but he loves pumping a scene full of fog firing a strobe light into it and then crossfading it away oh yeah and it's always so good yeah and no one else rips it off ever no it's weird it's because probably it's it. conventionally if you pitched someone that they would tell you that it's cheap or something right, but it's yeah. so good yeah it looks so good and always is cool it is, it is always cool and it I has always, always been cool it's <laughs> smoke strobes have always, always been, been cool, cool. Uh, it was uh, it was sort of amazing to see it applied to to a, a house basically like yeah. that yeah it just kept coming out and I was sitting there thinking wow that was a they had a bunch of smoke machines in there I guess that was uh, that whole this whole sequence with the convenience store and all of these hallways and uh, weird foyers and stuff that that uh, Coop and the woodsman were walking through when I was looking at that stuff, I, what I was thinking to myself actually was this show has had a ton of original sets and a, and tons of yeah. huge scale construction. Uh, it explains to me in part why Lynch absolutely insisted on the budget that he needed and the number of episodes that he needed. Like yeah. the amount of actual original production design for this show is actually astronomical even though it doesn't always feel like it's it because true, it's yeah. all it's all sort of dingy weird stuff it's also extremely specific and clearly built to order for the yeah, show yeah definitely like that convenience store seems at least like it was just a constructed set uh, that's that was what i was thinking while watching it definitely but, yeah but it, like knows, it yeah. looks it looked theatrical in terms of like it's yeah. a final build quality it didn't yeah. look like a real sure. place yeah, but it yeah, wasn't yeah. supposed to yeah 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 and it is and it, in the context of the show it probably yeah. isn't and that's part yeah. of why it felt so good when when cooper drives up to it and it was just like yeah, jeez like, this shit, exists in real, real life it's yeah. just out in the on a road yeah, ah i know but yeah so oh also by the way uh, the fact that that entire store disappears in the sort of like, like yep. fade away. What a good move it was by you, like when we started doing this season, to incorporate that effect into oh, the, the into opening the titles of our video, the video version yeah. of this podcast, because it's ended up being a like an intensely important and frequently used effect. Yeah, I, I pulled that show. sound and did my best to reverse engineer that f- effect from when Cooper first disappears from yeah. the black and white um, like theater lobby that the giant is in, yeah. or excuse me, the fireman. Right. And yeah, that, that sound effect and that aesthetic has shown up all over the place this season. So, yeah. nailed it. Nice job. Uh, too bad we didn't call this season Twin Peaks Rewatch The Return. We messed it up. been an actual lo- baked into yep. our logo, oh well. It's fine. Uh, anyway. One thing, just what I was saying about all of the God stuff and all oh, of yeah. the Cooper doppelganger stuff, the thing that, or, wow, <clears throat> I feel like this conversation with Jeffries is, a, it helped re-achieve balance in my mind of sort of the knife's edge that this has all been walking on of like, is this actually a myth mm. come to life or is this still that like weird ambient emotional dreamscape of season two i've i've felt like we were leaning so hard into this being a physical story of gods walking the earth that i really liked i felt like the lines blurred again in this conversation and Mm -hmm. it helped to get get it back to the place yeah 
that I that I that I personally prefer my yeah. my Twin Peaks, Chris. My <laughs> sure. uh, in my in my head canon. Yeah. It also, um, w- you know, last week I said something like the really uh, last up ep- last week's episode really enhanced my kind of general take on Philip Jeffries as someone who more than almost any other person that we're like he went native seems to yeah sort of he went native and is able to sort of walk among these worlds and this this really seemed to yeah hammer home on that uh one thing we didn't yet mention is the appearance of richard horn in at the end of this scene oh right and uh his idiotic attempt to get one over on <laughs> bad coop yep um before getting his ass kicked and driven away and that's you know that's what happens yep Oh, Audrey's his mom, if you didn't know. That's true, yes. yes. And he knows that he is Cooper, which seemed to make make Coop spit on the ground uh, because Audrey had a picture of him. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, then we see him text Diane Las Vegas. Was that? How do we know that's Diane? Do we actually Oh, know no, that? we don't. Yeah. My assumption is that because Diane has received so many of his other texts. Yeah. Um, but we don't. We still don't know if that's true. We still don't actually know if that is directly the case. That's true. It could go through a go-between. She has received the same letters of the alphabet in the same order that he sends, although different capitalization and different yeah. inconsistencies, and the timelines don't seem to match up. Did he literally just text the words Las Vegas? Yeah, with a question mark. Okay, that's different than the text that Diane received a few episodes ago. Yeah, I think, that cause, was. Cause did they received, ask about Las? Did Vegas they ask about Las like Vegas? That. Yeah, this felt to me like. Like who knows what what it actually is, but I had like thought that, I thought this was question. a check in of her. Like, yeah. how about now? Have they asked about it now? Because right, we right, know right. the answer is yes. Yeah, now that's true. Um, yeah, that's a good guess. But yeah, or this will mean something completely different. And it different. also <laughs> suggests that, like, I mean, I think one of the theories is maybe he was texting with Philip Jeffries or she was, and it doesn't seem that he was because Philip. Jeff- I mean, at least Philip Jeffries claims to not have his phone number. You know, to right. not be in communication. That with woman, him. that woman who got killed by Ike the Spike, was sending messages to Argentina, which That's is true. the last, That's like true. one of the places we know Philip Jeffries was That's in true. Fire Walk with me. Yeah, but then she was murdered. <laughs> yeah, uh, at the request of Duncan. Yeah, Duncan Todd. Who and got, Duncan Todd has now been killed at the request of of Cooper. Yeah, bad Coop. Yeah, of ba- of bad Coop. Um, well, anyway, so do you want to just keep taking this episode in the order it happened? Because uh, we will get to that stuff a little yeah, later. Yeah, so now so, it's time for uh, our checking on the Hayward family. Oh. Yeah, I mean, effectively, yeah. <laughs> What's Donna's sister up to, I've been wondering? Yeah, well, the thing she's up to is cowering in the woods with cokehead Stephen Burnett. Yep. It's not entirely clear what it is that he did. It we Because of what happens... At the end of this whole sequence, it is maybe implied he killed Becky. Maybe, yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's. I couldn't tell if he was blaming himself for things that happened with with him and Becky, right. and like her going to his apartment and blowing and shoot because when I, she was shooting holes in his door, yeah. he was also clearly on drugs and distressed, hiding two floors right. down, cowering below. But the like, did we miss time here where he actually went and killed her? Or is he just right. like drugged out and going crazy? I mean, she could have like overdosed on something. Right. And, yeah. Know, we, like what? We, we I, haven't seen have no anything. Clue. So we don't know. Yeah. The last thing we saw was her saying, Oh, I'll go to the double R for, cause the last thing we saw, last time we saw her, she was alive. 
yeah. in tears talking to Shelly. Right. And Shelly said, come over for some ice cream and And we also know Shelly's fine as of at least the beginning of this episode. Right. Not but, that that But means we also anything. know that this stuff is edited slightly out of order. Right. So, and that if she's dead, Shelly could just not know yet. Yes. But, but also we have no idea, reason to assume she's dead. It's not other than sort of maybe a vague implication. Yeah. I don't really know. Uh the stuff that they were, the stuff that it was um, a long scene with a lot of back and forth between them. Given and, that we had no idea, and what it was they were also very about. quiet and spoken in a mumbly, difficult. Hushed. It was difficult yeah. for me to understand every yeah. line. Yeah. Also, it was, it was nice photography. It was beautiful looking. There yeah. was that one wide shot of them yeah, when it, yep. alone in the woods with the in, as just a tiny little dot of red in a corner nestled into that tree. Yeah, that was great. That felt like that. That made me read all of that scene as all, you know. Although there are specific plot points in it, it was it was um, them just feeling crushed into the corner by sort of the constant evil foreboding, mm-hmm. weird pressure cooker that is Twin Peaks. Like yeah. that shot embodied that in a way that. Although you know what's funny about it is that that stuff and and a lot of the outdoor photography in this show is shot so brightly and. Yes, sort of like unmolested, you know, like um, Sarah, my wife, said several episodes ago that the exterior photography in this show reminded her of a nature documentary like Planet Earth or something uh-huh. on the BBC. It's because of the, of I, the slow drone shots. That was what I that was my response was that, yeah, I think I think part of that is because of what the, the sort of just visual style that we now are accustomed to with these overhead drone shots. But I think part of what she was identifying might also be how untouched just a clean. lot of it's so clean it's you get these bright popped colors with yep. a very natural color space and not like a really any sort of intense color grading or filters yep. or anything the, the thing that i noticed though in this in these hd presentations of the woods is that what what lynch really seems to be showing at least that communicates to me is the visual density and the infinite layers yeah, of these woods like, definitely yeah it used to often be lit probably because it had to be on sdtv so there was like a foreground layer then there were a few right. lights in the midground at night so you could see a little bit of foliage and it didn't just go to dark and then it would go to dark mm-hmm. or in the daytime again it was often sort of either yeah. foggy or like you just get a couple distinct layers and now it's just like the forest well, is almost just noise and sort of totally, slats that move right. back and forth. You the, know, e- the effect in the older photography is that it almost like a like a given tree line was almost like a wall. Yeah, it's like this. This is it's it's like this is such a stupid reference, but it's like in Disneyland. You know how they they uh, all that foliage is designed to just instantly cut off your field of view, so it makes right. it seem like. You're actually, if you're in a forested area, it makes it seem like you're out in nature and the forest could go on yep. forever. But really, it's a very thin line of trees, and that's how that felt. Now it's like a show. fog. Yeah, now it's exactly. Now it feels like it stretches off into infinity. Yeah, and you're, you just, just, you're just consumed. Yeah, yeah. The, the woods are shot and treated in a way very similarly to how Lynch treats like the Red Room, where it's just an unending yeah. space of patterns and shapes. Yeah. Uh, and that's what that, that shot of um, Gersten and Stephen, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Of them huddled inside of that huge yeah. woods. It felt like they were just like a tiny dot trapped in just basically an unending sea. And I, I, I want to say that if I can become a little, uh, go out on a little bit of a limb. On a limb, because we're talking about uh, the trees. Uh, um, the original run of Twin Peaks in, you know, featuring that photography uh, really felt like it took place in in almost a sort of hermetically sealed little universe that was this town and there were Mm -hmm. definitely things that had like an epic sweep to them but it was all in the context we didn't really get much of a sense 
at all of the wider world. It's like we're in Twin Peaks and there there are cosmic forces at work, but we're only seeing them through this very localized lens. Mm-hmm. Whereas this season has gone out of its way, I think, to, um, to have almost a sort of jet, literally jet setting in the case of the FBI crew, but, but in, in a broader sense, a very globalized um, perspective on these cosmic forces and the relationships mm-hmm. of these characters and situations. Uh, and so even when you're in Twin Peaks itself, you don't feel like you're surrounded by the almost like comforting confines of this forest. It, even the forest feels like it's it, infinite and goes on forever. And yep. that, that those decisions are actually extended pretty consistently throughout the show. I mean, the roadhouse for instance, is another example of a place that in twin peaks felt like a small town hangout where a really specific group of people got together in this season. I mean, clearly very intentionally, at least half the times we go to the roadhouse, we're introduced to brand new characters yeah. that don't recur, that almost never recur, you know, with tiny stories that uh, in some cases tie into the larger events and in some cases seem not to. Um, there are, you know, bands from the world over who come and play there. Um, the It feels bigger somehow because the crowds are huge. Yeah. You know, the double R is maybe the only example of, uh, of of a, it's like the last bastion of that. Yeah, Twin and Peaks. even that, yeah. there's a guy who's aggressively like scraping trying at it. to. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting to me that the because when when I look at all the people in Twin Peaks and all the storylines of our classic characters, a lot of them are acting in a similar way to how they acted in seasons one and two, and it 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 sort of is under it's 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 cut for me with an undercurrent of of sort of just distressing anxiety because I see them still like. Ed and Norma going through their stuff or like Bobby talking about his parents or like Richard Horn doing his thing or just, you know, people are sort of Andy and Lucy being Andy and Lucy. Ben Horn doing his thing? Ben Horn, excuse me. Ben Horn just being Ben Horn. Like these characters are all um, just uh, going through their lives and they sometimes to me they're acting still like they're inside of that bubble, but I can see outside of the bubble, both literally with these huge drone shots that are panning over the woods or just seeing the rest of the world exerting its influence on Twin Peaks, and you can almost sort of see the weird pressure cooker uh, from the outside in this season. I don't don't have a conclusion to draw from that other than it's it's effective. Yeah. (laughs) The Roadhouse is, is weird to me as well because the Roadhouse, it almost feels like it's being treated as... Uh, like a point of ingress and egress to Twin Peaks, where it's almost like, yeah. uh, it almost feels like it's like a bus stop along a, this weird sort of metaphysical, non-real road that a lot of the characters are traveling in, where you, you do see all these outsiders come in, but all they ever seem to do is sit at the booth, and then we never see them again. Occasionally, characters from Twin Peaks cross paths with them, but it... I mean, I assume a lot of those people in those booths are from Twin Peaks. So yes, just, you know, sure, but it, they're not from—they're not from our, our Twin Peaks. Peaks. They're not from the yeah, story yeah, of Twin yeah, Peaks. It's—it's yeah, yeah. it, it's weird to have this feeling that we are seeing the world get bigger, and we are sort of seeing this broader canvas that the story is taking place on. But at the same time, it still, to me, doesn't feel like we're actually seeing a bigger world. It almost seems like Twin Peaks is still a little tiny bubble trapped in a sea of infinite woods and mountains. And then we have Las Vegas, we have New York, we have Buckhorn, and they're all connected through these sort of like tubes or channels that don't really seem to map to real life in a way that means anything. They all still feel like they're their own 
weird isolated things that have influence over each other but it doesn't I wish that I had a conclusion to draw from that, but it's a strange experience. No, like they I, I all seem it, like their own little unrealities yeah. to me, but they all have sort of tidal forces and huge, you know, cause and effect on each other. And they are all, they all, it still is a, a specific place. Yeah. The earth. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if this is what you mean, but what you're saying reminds me of uh, what you were saying last week about how a lot of the ways the sort of lore and mythology is being treated in this season is is in some ways serving to shrink its kind of emotional possibility space mm-hmm. through specificity and that's that's how i how i feel a little bit with respect to how the world is treated in twin peaks although it still does feel to me that twin peaks itself is it it feels like twin peaks is fighting a a losing battle that was maybe hinted at in the original show, but now absolutely in full blast fighting, fighting a losing battle against being part of the world at large and sort of shrinking as the world around it, like, um, gains ground into its borders. That's kind of how it feels to me. I, but I understand your, I I totally get what you mean about these places almost feeling like they're connected by hyperloop tunnels. I I think that, I think that those two things are happening at the same time and it's kind of tough to internalize both because like the, the, the example of the guy trying to get Norma to franchise is a very obvious concrete example of that. But at the same time, I feel like the world has become so disconnected from real life and so sort of turned into these like metaphorical or unreal places that the idea that like, uh, Maddie Ferguson showing up and being just like, oh, she's from she from Missoula or something. Yeah, it's like Missoula doesn't exist in this <laughs> in, se- in season three's version of Twin Peaks. There's no way that a character yeah. would just walk into town from another real place. That feels almost like off the table. The idea that someone enters or leaves Twin Peaks or just could or has any desire to do that seems not what this season is even concerned with because they just they're almost sure. weird iconic representations of things. Sure. Anyway, this is so hard to grapple with in a way that is, sounds reasonable or yeah. like I know what I'm talking about. Sorry. Uh, so anyway, Stephen and uh, Gersten <laughs> in the woods uh, are discovered by it's, oh Cyril uh, Pons. Cyril Pons, as as portrayed by Mark Frost for the second time. Yes, hiking through the woods with his dog. He showed up as a newscaster yeah. in in was it season two or what was it? Was it? I think it was season two. But yeah, I, I I can't. It's been a minute since yeah. I looked at old Cyril Pons. Yeah. Um, so he he sees them, uh, they split up. Um, uh, Gersten runs behind a different tree. We hear a gunshot, possibly insinuating that um, Stephen Stephen killed himself. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I, At first, I thought that he had killed Cyril. That's Pons what I thought. But until then we, we cut see, and see Cyril, yeah, with uh, Carl Rod, yes, telling him like presumably what happened, and then gesturing to what I believe is Becky's home, right? I, yeah, I would assume. Um, so that's what happens, and we'll see what happens there. Uh, we should move on, though, because this episode's going to be very, very long yep. at this rate. Uh, we get James and Freddie at the Roadhouse. This actually happens in between the, uh, two chunks of, of that previous scene. Yeah. Um, but they show up. Uh, James, like, in the, in the Jamesiest. He just, like performance ever. <laughs> uh, he just walks up to that woman whose name I can't remember. I'm sorry. It's uh, uh, Renee. He walks up to Renee, just starts says, talking. Nice to see you, Nice Renee. to see you. As just her husband is right there who yeah. gets up and just beats the shit out of him. Yeah. Well, and James is just like, I've just wa- I just I just saw, saw I was bum, bum. It was, yeah. 
maximum James. I just want to walk into other people's relationships. That's just James's <laughs> move. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but he's always been cool. Don't forget. <laughs> he's always massively been... <laughs> disproven in this scene. Um, and the guy who attacks him is Chuck, right? It's Chuck. Yeah. Because Renee is like Chuck. Don't do it, Chuck. Like okay. it's okay. Stop. But but that that but we've heard a lot, right? God, that character right. Chuck was mentioned in in in, in the, the Audrey, Audrey all scenes. the Audrey stuff. Yeah, not in this ah. episode, but, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this stuff all kind of swirls around itself in ways that are still confusing. There's a whole Shadow Twin Peaks season somewhere else. I know, right? Uh. Yeah. And then Freddy just destroys. Freddy the guy. just like bonks, Bonk. the, like taps yeah. him on the nose. It is this fun. show. This season loves outrageous punches to face yeah it loves it it's so weird God, it was it was distressing how, the watching him like start foaming at the mouth and how sort of weirdly misshapen yeah. his face looked and stuff yeah. and how like his wound was torn right off his face yeah but it was a band-aid <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh so that was that was outrageous yeah uh and then freddie and um james end up in prison in this like in the Gr- growing weird little community, <laughs> the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Jail yeah. is uh, off the charts yeah. at this point as far yeah. as what is going on in it. Yeah, we have Nido and weird mouth bleeding guy yeah. and Chad yeah. and uh, crazy Hulk fist man yeah. and James Hurley. Yep, all just hanging out. Yep, and uh, Chad. Is it having none of it? Chad is just living his nightmare in there. Yeah, it's Chad's nightmare. Oh, it's it's my nightmare too. I that that those scenes with the n- noises and the bleeding guy, and then Chad saying to shut up. It oh, is so the, stressful. The bleeding to me. guy imitating Chad, and then also yeah. now making monkey sounds. Yeah. Oh my oh, god. Oh, what a nightmare. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, also, Freddie could presumably bust everyone out if he wanted to. I assume. That's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, is it- How does Freddy not punch almost, his way out of that jail? It seems almost certain that he is there because it is his destiny to protect Nido, who has to be protected. And- Yes. Right? I mean, I assume that's There's just there. a super team assembling yeah. inside of that jail so that when and Mr. James. C- When Bad Coop and James. <laughs> super team and James. <laughs> uh, so when, when Coop finally just busts into town in his car in the middle of the night, which maybe that's not going to happen, but that seems- it's probably going to happen. I think that is true. Uh, okay, so we get Vegas. Duncan Todd gets capped by Sh- Chantel yep. um, along with Duncan's assistant. He was asking- Roger. R- yeah, he was asking Roger if he's heard from Anthony. Right. Uh, he is not. They're still trying to find him. Right. We haven't seen Anthony in a few episodes either. I forget who after Anthony his, is. Oh, the insurance agent. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We haven't who, seen him. Who, just repen- we- who repented. Right. We haven't seen anyone. Yeah, we haven't seen from, that. In that from that storyline for a right. minute, except for Cooper. Except for Cooper. Uh, so anyway, uh, he gets killed. I liked how they shot that. It wasn't clear who it actually was. Yep. Um, until she came back. The until she time. came back, and then of course, yeah, yeah. it's her. Uh, it was just a good sort of fun, outrageous scene, especially the way she like casually takes her phone call in between killing yeah. them and then returning to finish the job. But you know, also a straightforward one. Like, uh, there's yeah. a, like a ton to say about this. I don't think. And then the two of them have their the the two hitmen, Chantel and what's the other? What's the guy's name? Hutch and Hutch. Yeah, they have that conversation as they're eating burgers in the yeah, car. That was a good. That was just a really good. I just that was a fun scene. There's yep. just a good scene about them talking about their profession and sort of like, well, you know, the government does it all the time. Like, what's the big deal? Yep. It was just a good. It was good. And then he got her dessert and everything. Yep. 
Oh, and she also uh, points to the sky and points out Mars. Right. And I thought that was just notable and a, a good touch. And it was another good cross cut because it went from that to Dougie eating his cake. Yes. Yes, that's A true. lot of the, the sort of scene-by-scene scene editing in this episode I thought was one of the strongest I, I agree. ones. Very, sort of very it. The good. flow of it also, was, was yeah. w- weird and not standard, but also felt really good as we cut from place to place. Is David Lynch credited as an editor in He's all additional episodes? editing in all episodes. In all episodes? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, noticed that, I noticed he was in this episode, and it made me wonder if he is in all of them. Uh, and I guess yeah. It makes sense that he would be. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's always the last listed additional editor. Right, right. Um, as well as the sound designer credited. Yes. It cuts the Dougie and it was a good cut. But first, let's talk about the Las Vegas FBI before yes, we leave Vegas yes, for because, good. Yeah. Or I guess we're still in Vegas, but you know. Right, sure. Uh, uh, this was a very short <laughs> scene that existed mainly to be hilarious, I think, as these yep. characters do. It was uh, Vegas, I guess Vegas Bureau Director Headley, yeah. I guess is, a, is what he is essentially, and his assistant Wilson, yeah. uh, who says, like, the Joneses are here, like, Dougie's here. Du- is is du- Douglas Jones and his wife Jane, right? Yeah. And their kids. And their kids. 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 The I don't remember the name of this actor who plays the F, the Vegas director, mm-hmm. um, but he's the he. I'm pretty sure he's the guy who plays Stan in Mad Men. Yeah, and he is. I love that casting choice. Oh yeah, because his just sort of constant state he's just of, incensed yeah yeah of just like boiling over with frustration and comical rage is very yeah. enjoyable to the me. little just like family portrait that opens on that other Jones oh, yeah. family was also, also really great good. and then like, just children and, in there? Yeah. <laughs> and just close the door again yeah. and never mind yeah yeah <laughs> well you know what's funny is like they really sold the joke very well because as he was going down the hallway I was like are there two Does, are there two kids like is there a brother or a sister like, oh I was I was I, it, I somehow didn't pick up. Oh on yeah, the Dana fact. just went. It's the wrong Joneses. The yeah, moment they're like Dougie's here. Yeah, I know. Why I didn't immediately get that, but <laughs> it made the reveal especially yeah. hilarious. Oh, it was good. It was yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, then he yeah screams Wilson. Uh, and now to the real the real Joneses. To the real Dougie Jones eating chocolate cake. The real Dougie Jones, who to be clear is, is not, not the, the real, real Dougie, Dougie Jones. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, eating cake and and enjoying it. Yep. Is oh, it delicious? Delicious. Oh, Dougie, it's like all our dreams are coming true. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I don't know how. Okay, I do know how you could not be on board with Dougie Jones uh, this late into the game. I definitely know how you could not be on board. But man, am I on board with Dougie Jones <laughs> so yeah, much? It's very good. Um, and now that I'm and uh, me being fully on board with Dougie Jones, uh, we might finally be nearing the end of Dougie Jones. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we we we're probably still. An episode or a sort famous, of Dougie cycle famous away. Famous predictions about Twin right. Peaks: The Return. We've ah, looks like <laughs> Dougie Jones is on the verge of waking up to to Cooper. I don't know if we. What ta- if he just dies? The end. Oh, if Dougie he's not going to just die. I thought that maybe Dougie Jones is just going to die. Like, there's a chance that he just pops into Dougie an Jones orb. Already did die. Right, but this episode we had Mr. C uh, slash Bad Coop slash Cooper be declared OCR Cooper after all by yeah. Philip Jeffries. So if this. Cooper that came like wiggling out of an electrical outlet also shouldn't be there. There could be a fucked up version of the end of Twin Peaks where all of that Dougie Jones stuff was revealed to be a mistake. It's yeah. very unlikely. Yeah. Very unlikely. Yeah. But he could electrocute himself into a smoke orb uh, for all we know next episode. Yeah. Like maybe Janie E walks in there and there's just ash on the ground and a pair of shoes. Yeah. Unlikely. Yeah. Unlikely, but not impossible. Yeah. 
we we saw him still though there like i don't know the we did we saw him being electrocuted and it was flashing and then Janie e uh yeah i guess says, that's true yeah screams and you hear uh sunny jim say mom what was that from upstairs yeah, and then yeah. it cuts no i guess you're right i guess so you're right it was just a very we, long electrocution yeah scene. The, yeah yeah uh, I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm saying that you know yeah, we we sure. don't know. Well, so there are a couple things Let's, to mention. We should talk about this whole there. scene. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's great. As he's eating the cake, he's sort of compulsively fiddling with things on the like table. Like he moves the salt shaker, yeah. or that wood in, pear, in or whatever that it is. Sort of like implicitly intentional manner that Dougie Jones like does. Like he's getting things. an impulse from somewhere in his body that yeah, causes it. It's to like, oh, this of... needs to be over here. Oh, I need to press this. He eventually turns on the TV inadvertently to a scene from Sunset Boulevard in yeah. which the incredibly minor character who I get, I never made this connection before. Well, someone but, says, get Gordon Cole. Yeah, yeah. like a very minor character in that yep. movie. And that really, that like more than anything before seems to have He looks not like Dougie, Dougie for the first time in this where his like his eyes shoot open and he has an, int- like it, it, it looks less like Dougie is being surprised and more like his brain just like went like something yeah. is happening in his the, mind. The moment when it that was most powerful to me is when he was he gets down on the floor and is crawling and towards like the outlet. At the outlet. And yeah. That was an intensely Cooper. It just looking looked like face. Cooper. That just looked yeah. like Dale Cooper being kind of like wide-eyed at something. But he was still scraping at the world trying to do a thing that he didn't understand. Like it clearly wasn't Cooper, but like there was but it was a Cooper it was Cooper esque. Yeah. There was a different part of his brain yeah. driving him right then. It was an amazing example of how how very tiny choices that Kyle McLaughlin makes can in utterly change how we receive that character. Yeah. Because God, one of those moments where he was on the ground before he gets to the wall. Yeah. I it was just like, oh, I'm just looking at twenty five years younger Kyle McLaughlin like now. It was yeah. it was intense. I it was very, very, yeah. very striking. Further further cementing the amazing job that that guy's doing in this show. Yeah, yeah for sure. Also, uh, just the amount of um, tension and terror as he's like, <laughs> just trying and trying and trying to get this fork into the outlet. The, way, like, that oh he, the way that he tried to get the two prongs in and bend the middle yeah. ones up was like, oh, yeah. and then just, nope, just jamming the back end right into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so good. Yep. Uh, and then, yeah, Janie E., loses her mind justifiably. Yep. Uh, and yeah, Sunny Jim also screaming from upstairs and we don't know what what's happening. Nope. So good. Man, just the last thing I expected. When that old movie came on and I was like, oh, it's just some old movie. I thought it was just going to be, at this point I'm conditioned. So I thought it was just going to be Cooper continuing to eat his cake while sort of like water yeah, being, a water-eyed yeah. watching something on TV yep, and then yep, maybe yep. sort of like turning his head at it but then when someone said get Gordon Cole and he just went <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man it was yeah. so it was almost frightening yeah the way that the way that that's oh, very, very yep. good anyway Gordon uh, Cole yep the log lady Margaret uh, Latterman calls Hawk yep for presumably the last time yes in a very uh, touching and hearing her just scene. saying "Hawk, I'm dying" was like that was so intense. Because knowing was, that the actress herself also was, she was weeks from from passing away when they yeah. filmed that stuff. I mean, it was it was so it was so intense and just like emotionally distressing to watch her first show up for the first yeah. time, knowing that she died, but then yeah. knowing that they recorded uh, her character and her performance going to be this explicit with it was it was something else. Yeah, yeah. and. I think that was a really interesting choice, I thought, and I don't know if you have any takeaways on from this, was 
Hawk's reaction. So she calls and says, Hawk, I'm dying. And he says, I'm sorry, Margaret. And then from that point on, he doesn't say anything until the end of the conversation. Yeah. And she essentially monologues. She says, you know about death, that it's just a change, not an end. Hawk, it's time. There's some fear, some fear in letting go, which was a really rough, that, mm-hmm. was, that was an intense moment. Remember what I told you. Uh, I can't say more over the phone, but you know what I mean, um, you know, from when we were talking mm-hmm. in person or whatever. Watch for that one, the one under the moon on Blue Pine Mountain. Um, Hawk, my log is turning gold. The wind is moaning. I'm dying. Good night, Hawk. Good night, Margaret. It was like, it was... Hangs up. Yeah. Goodbye, Margaret. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was intense. It was intense. It was also... It also felt weird. I mean, as as she kept speaking and Hawk was saying nothing, mm-hmm. it, it, I didn't know what to make of it, but it was very unsettling to me. I don't know. I don't know that it was meant to be unsettling per se, but I was sort of unsettled. Like in in what way? Because I, I don't know. It almost felt like he was. I I don't know. I don't know what it felt like, but it just I, I seemed like he should have said something at any point. Yeah. During that whole thing, but I but I mean I'm not saying he should have. It was whatever. I'm just yeah. It, I was just kept expecting him to speak. It, and he didn't. It felt it like surprising. something was missing given the connection that those characters have mm. had in in previous scene, previous scenes. Oh geez, Cause, and because she said something is missing. Um. He found that though it was a diary page in a toilet, um, but you know, it, I almost, I kind of just read it as uh, maybe Hawk didn't know yeah. what to say. I mean, I don't yeah. know. Also, or it was just weirdly edited. It was, yeah. it was, it did. Or feel, he just knew that she had things to say. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt, it felt a little bit, a little bit hollow in a way that was unsettling and also was frustrating. But at the same time, just you rereading her last words, like. It was a very good and appropriate and also interesting way for the log lady to go out for her last words on screen as that character. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe maybe Lynch just didn't want to interrupt it with any dialogue and cut th- it all yeah, out. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. Um, also, I mean, in terms of it being an appropriate uh, ending note for Margaret. Um, she she went out on some sort of very poignant words about life generally and also some intensely specific Twin Peaks lore that yeah. means nothing to us yet. Right. It uh, all it all she delivered it in that like great log lady way though where yeah. it all felt like it, it had emotional gravitas same, to it. Yeah. yeah, all the same sort of voice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When her talking what was the thing she said about the moon? Uh, she said, watch for that one, the one under the moon on Blue Pine Mountain. That, to me, has to be a reference just to Bad Coop because sure. because he is so often shown in combination with the shot of the full moon being occluded by dark clouds. In, in this episode, we actually got that after Hawk and Margaret hang up. Oh, right. That's right. I yeah. thought I thought then that it was going to cut to Bad Coop, but it didn't. No, it just cuts. It continues this thread right. with Truman and... Oh right, Hawk, Hawk calls everyone into the like, conference room to tell them that yeah, the, the log lady sort of died. Key sheriff's department people yeah. show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old timers and that one new guy. Yeah, and we get a little bit of I, what I assume to be new Battle of Menti music mm-hmm. in that scene, which felt like an appropriate time to bust that out. Yep, that was it did. nice. I liked that. Uh, and then we get a shot, uh, another exterior forest shot, and then we get her house with the lights. With the lights fade out. Fade out. Yeah. Yep, that was nice. And then we get uh, the opposite of closure. And then we re-enter hell. Yeah, as we return (laughs) to uh, Audrey and Charlie somehow, like, frustrating their own 
progress to an unbelievable degree where they actually reverse pro- like they manage to get off their feet and like Charlie puts his coat on Audrey does not and somehow by the end of the scene they're even farther from the door than they were at the beginning of the scene <laughs> what the hell is this it just it, uh, it is it is utterly maddening obviously intentionally yeah. so and it still continues to feel unreal or almost like a weird it feels yeah. it feels like a one act play it feels like it, does. it, really it feels does. like they're it totally inside does. like a, it feels like they're inside waiting for Godot or yeah, something where yeah, they're yeah, deliberately yeah, yeah. just arguing themselves through this yes. circular situation that is self stymieing and just distressing and annoying over and over and over again yeah and Audrey you know keeps saying things like I feel like I don't even know you. I feel like you're a new person. What yeah. is this? Like, what are you doing? You know, it's all of the language seems to very much back up this strange feeling of unreality. Yeah, the, it is a nightmare somehow or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And yet, nothing shows that's true. Although no, there was a breaking point kind of this time in that she actually leaps onto the couch and starts strangling him. Yeah, that was intense. That's true. And Something actually did physically happen. Yeah, but to what end or why? Yeah. But Yep. Uh, I want to uh, <laughs> mention one thing about the Roadhouse that we haven't actually mentioned because it was in the previous scene mm-hmm. with, uh, uh, with uh, James, James and Freddie yeah. and Renee. The classic Roadhouse MC who shows up from time to time, increasingly <laughs> shows up or yeah. in recent episodes... Uh, to introduce just playing ZZ Top over the stereo system, yeah. I guess. Like, it seems like a weird... He's, like, very excited about this. It's apparently one of the Roadhouse's favorites. He turns up the applause this cheesy meter. volume. Oh, I thought yeah, it was volume. volume. Yeah, meter. he turns up, up the volume. Goes up into the red. Yeah. Uh, for, and the crowd flips out about Sharp Dressed Man by the ZZ Top, ZZ Top. Possibly, like, one of the top few most overplayed songs to convey a sense of sort of badass Americana. Like yep. one of the most cliche, like unsurprising choices ever. And these yep. people flip out. And it's very notable to me that the same crowd of, uh, the same venue and crowd of people who would lose their shit over the nine inch nails uh, also loses their shit over just hearing a recording, a recording of, of Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top. Yeah. It's a very weird it's weird that the universe contains both of those things, although they also flip their shit over James Hurley. Yeah. J- you and I. They are so just enthusiasts, they Chris. They just love it. They love it. These teens and young adults of Twin Peaks love the Roadhouse and every th- musical act. Um, <laughs> in Actually, the current scene of the Roadhouse that we're talking about here, uh, we get another one of these seemingly isolated... Um, sort of um, vignettes, I guess, uh, in which there's a young woman sitting at a booth and then two leather-clad assholes approach her, forcibly remove her from the booth, sit her on the floor. We get a really striking shot of her looking directly into the camera before she kind of breaks down and starts crawling through the crowd. And that was a really... um, yeah. And then I mean then she starts screaming and strobe lights hit. Yeah, she starts screaming. We cut to the band performing mm-hmm. who the singer like also seems to be kind of like screaming yeah. sort of in unison almost or or like uh, alternating uh and then we get the strobes and then that's the episode. Yep. Um that was quite a scene and I 
can only assume it will not be followed up on, uh, just given past evidence. Um, but it was it was interesting. <clears throat> I mean, it, it definitely was. Um, I don't know. It. I don't really know what what my point is with this, but it it felt like more. Uh, yet another example of the Roadhouse being sort of a microcosm of just everything that is affecting Twin Peaks in terms of it being more subject to the influence of the outside world, but also being a place where lives are just totally upended. Like in the original run of Twin Peaks, there's a suggestion that there's a darkness in the woods surrounding Twin Peaks, but also like any one sort of really terrible act is enough to completely throw the town into turmoil and and disrupt everyone's lives. But in this era of Twin Peaks, it seems like almost everyone's lives are a disaster and just everything. There's like constant turmoil and darkness. And a lot of these little roadhouse vignettes, certainly this one especially, just feels like an example of that to Mm -hmm. me where there's just, I don't know what's going on with this woman, but she is, other than the obvious shitty thing that just happened to her, but she is, it is all boiling over for her. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then the rest of the, over the credits, we just under the credits actually it's we that just motel get that again. motel again. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Thank you for joining us, uh, and thank you for sticking sticking with us for these long episodes. We will be back next week to discuss um, part sixteen of the return, which is the last one before the double feature finale. Yep. And if you have any comments uh, that we can, we will get to eventually. I promise. Uh, you can email them to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Our website is TwinPeaksRewatch.com, and that has links to everywhere you can find us on the internet, as well as uh, links to the forum thread for each episode, the YouTube video for each episode, um, our contact information, and so on. And uh, just as a reminder, we do have that forum on the Idle Forums that is a really great place to discuss the show with other Twin Peaks fans. It is a constantly great place to find really cool observations about the show, things you might not have noticed, um, cool theories, and just generally good-natured discussion. Um, on that, we will be back next week. For Idle Thumbs, I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Bye.